Happy Life Church. Thank you for joining us. A lot of um, empty seats here today. People enjoying the, the holiday, but thank you for taking the time to be with us as we remember the Lord's table this morning. So you may have noticed the, the slides at the back and the different theme that we are on at the moment. We are preparing our hearts for Christmas. This is Advent, the beginning of Christmas and the next four weeks we will be teaching sermons and messages from the scriptures about Christmas. For the next four weeks we will be looking at this theme and this series from um, the Christmas season. So Advent, you may be asking what is Advent? Well Advent is the period that started on the 1st of January, four weeks before Christmas when Christians do what did I say? Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We're testing our I was testing you guys, yes. Thank you. Okay, let me start again. First of December. Yeah. So we, we prepare our hearts for, for Christmas and celebrating really the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ and anticipation of the promise that He's given to us that He will return. So today at the start of this season, we are going to observe the, the Lord's table as you see here. We will be holding the elements in our hands. We will be remembering the Lord. And I believe the, the Lord's table is the designated time that we have been given as a church to celebrate and remember our Lord's incarnation. And that's the theme this morning as we look at the Lord's incarnation. We remember Him becoming flesh, becoming man and dwelling amongst us. So we'll be looking at the Lord's incarnation and His substitutionary death as we, as we participate this morning together. So my reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 1. I'll be reading the Christmas story um, that is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1. If you would turn there with me, Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. This is what the prophet spoke. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Gabriel, would you close the please? Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessings on the preaching of the word this morning. Father, we do want to come before you this morning and ask you please, Lord, to teach us and to minister to our hearts and our souls today. 
Father, we pray that we wouldn't just be going through the motions today, just following ritual and routine, but may this Advent season truly be meaningful in ways that we haven't experienced before. We pray, Father, that this wouldn't just be another Christmas, another time of worldly expectations and gifts met and unmet. We pray that you would please help us to focus on the real reason for the season who is Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts today to receive your word, to receive the conviction the Spirit will bring into our hearts, and to receive the comfort that he may give to us today. And I pray that you would minister to us where we need to be ministered today, Father. You know our hearts better than I do, better than the person sitting next to us does. So we pray, Father, that you would please Meet us in a very real way today. May we not leave this building knowing that we have met with you without knowing that, Lord. So we ask, Lord, please, do your work amongst us for the sake of your great name, Lord Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of my favorite books of all time is a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. If you have never read that book, I would highly recommend it and encourage you to, to read that. But chapter 5 of that book is titled God Incarnate, which really explains the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which I'm going to try and explain really in 35 minutes. Okay, I'm going to try. Okay. But Pekka begins by stating the obvious. He says, you know, many thoughtful people find the gospel challenging to believe in, and he says, but many also make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulties in the wrong places. He talks about the atonement and the resurrection and the virgin birth. And the miracles that we see in the Bible are all challenging to believe on face value. But they all pale in comparison to the Christian claim of the incarnation. He says, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. If Jesus was no more than a remarkable man, then all these other hard-to-believe aspects of the Christian faith remain hard, if not impossible, to believe. The incarnation itself, he says, is an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything else in the New Testament. And here's a quote that I have for you today. He says, The Christmas message rests on the staggering fact that the child in the manger was God. And not just God, but God made man born to die. Can I repeat that? The Christmas message rests on the staggering fact that the child in the manger was God. And not just God, but God made man born to die. If Jesus had not been born, none of us would be here. Without the, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, there would be no death, and there would be no resurrection for us to celebrate. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning at the beginning of Christmas because we must not separate Jesus' birth from His death. We mustn't separate Bethlehem from Golgotha. We must not separate the stable 
from the table. That is the theme, that is the title of my message this morning. From the stable to the table. Had there been no incarnation, if Jesus had not become flesh, there never could have been the atonement. And had there been no atonement, there would be no salvation for us. My first point this morning is the importance of the incarnation. The importance of the incarnation. So maybe you're asking, what does incarnation mean? Well, incarnation literally means embodied in the flesh or taking on flesh. Embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. You may have heard the word reincarnation. That comes from the, the Hindu philosophy that teaches that you are incarnated a number of times. So you are having this birth and this rebirth cycle a number of times. I think there's over 80 million times the Hindus believe that you can be reincarnated, that you can come in a different form. But in Christianity, the incarnation that we talk about refers to the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus becoming flesh. God himself assumed a human nature and became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the second person of the Trinity. Christ was truly God, and He was truly man. Now, the incarnation was necessary. It was necessary in order for men to see God. But God, remember, in the Old Testament, He was unseen. They were not allowed to make any images or any likeness of God. Remember, they tried to make images of, of bulls, and they were, they were condemned for that. They were not allowed to make images of God. That was one of the Ten Commandments. They weren't allowed to create anything that could reveal God's likeness. And worshipping these images was forbidden. But with the incarnation that we are looking at this morning, God was now manifest in human flesh. Humans could now touch Him. Humans could now see Him. And in the words of Scripture, Jesus was God with us. God with us, just as we read this morning. So the incarnation was accomplished by the virgin birth. And this was also necessary in one of the most amazing and greatest of miracles of all time. The virgin birth was necessary not only to produce one who was both God and man, but also to produce one who was without sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that Jesus committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. The incarnation was necessary for the Savior to become a human in order to be perfected by experiencing all the difficulties and all the temptations of human life that humans face and we face. This was necessary for him to become a merciful and compassionate high priest. He's not sitting on a cloud on the throne somewhere removed from us. He understands our feelings. He knows our weaknesses, because He has experienced them Himself. The incarnation was necessary so that the Lord Jesus could become our one 
and our only mediator, as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Paul links here the, the role of mediator with his humanity. He says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. There is one mediator, and there is one God, and that mediator is Christ Jesus. The incarnation was necessary to reverse and remedy the consequences of the fall of Adam. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the last Adam. We looked a little bit at this a while back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it tells us, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The incarnation really is the supreme example of humility. The wonder is that the Lord set aside the visible manifestations of His glory. Remember, He was... He was a king. He set those aside. He set all of his privileges. He set all the position that he possessed and presented himself as a mere man. As a mere man. An incarnation is an essential part of the gospel. The gospel by which we are saved. Belief in the incarnation is essential. If we don't believe this, we cannot be saved. If we don't believe God became man and dwelt among us, we cannot be saved. If we don't believe God who became man and went to the cross on our behalf, perfectly sinless, we cannot be saved. The incarnation is a precondition to the work of redemption. God had to come to this world in human flesh in order to take our place. Dying a substitutionary and sacrificial death to bear the penalty for our sins and to rise from the dead for our justification. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God literally wrapped him in human flesh. He wrapped him in human flesh to show his love for us and to reconcile the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Jesus was not just an agent. Jesus was not just a prophet through Him, through whom God sends the message that He loves us. Jesus is God Himself in the flesh, on earth, loving us. And Jesus said in John 14 verse 9, Whoever has seen Me, has seen the Father also. A lot of theology there. Let me apply this to communion this morning. Okay? My second point is the incarnation and communion. As we get ready to partake of the Lord's table this morning, as you hold these elements in your hand, I want you to focus primarily on the bread. Because I believe this symbolizes our Lord's incarnation, which uniquely qualified Him to die for the sins of 
of humanity. The grape juice, we know, symbolizes our Lord's death. But the bread symbolizes His body, which was a result of the incarnation through the virgin birth. And this symbolism of the bread, of course, we know is, is an unleavened bread. And that's important as well. The unleavened bread symbolizes the, the sinless nature of the body of our Lord. Leaven in the Old Testament symbolized sin. So we can't have yeast in our, in our bread as we partake this morning because it's a picture of the sinless Son of God. Jesus is both God and man, but He is the only man who could die for our sins because He was a man without sin. The only sacrifice that would be accepted by God the Father. It is our Lord's sinless innocence which makes His death applicable to all who will receive it. The only way that God could die as a man for man was to take on human flesh. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Were there any other ways that God could have saved us? Were there any other ways that God could have redeemed us? And the answer is no. The only way that God could die for us was for Him to become a man. To die for, for other humans. The only way He could have redeemed us was for Him to take on human flesh. So that flesh could be sacrificed on the altar at Calvary. Unless He was God incarnate, He could not be the last Adam. He could not reverse the effects of the first Adam's sin. And we all are dealing with that even today as we consider how this COVID disease has changed our lives. How sin corrupt the world and brought in even disease. And that was a consequence of the first Adam's sin. And it is only the second Adam who can reverse these effects. The incarnation is to be celebrated in the context of the saving work of our Lord. And Christmas is a wonderful time. I'm not saying don't, worship, don't celebrate Christmas. But don't separate the baby from the man who will die on the cross 33 years later. Celebrate the incarnation in context of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Today we do that with our communion service. And that's why I think it's so appropriate that we start our Christmas celebrations with the Lord's table. Remembering His death. Remembering His death. Communion is a proclamation of the fundamental truths of the Gospel. Truths which we dare not forget. And truths which those who are lost must embrace. Christ came to earth in a sinless human flesh to live a life of complete obedience to the Father and ultimately to die in the sinner's place bearing God's wrath so that all who accept His work by faith may be saved. This morning when we observe the Lord's table normally we pass the elements around but we see the elements before us we hold them in our hands we hold the, the bread and we hold the cup to remind us. But we need to decide, we must make a decision to take the bread and drink 
this, this juice. These are only symbols. But we must decide before we partake whether or not we are part of this saving grace that the Lord offers us. Do we believe in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ? You cannot partake of the Lord's Supper if you don't. Do you believe in Him as the Son of God? Do you believe that He really was God who came down from heaven to earth on our behalf? Do you believe that? Do you believe in Him as the Son of God who came to earth in human flesh? Do you believe that He was born of a virgin by the work of the Holy Spirit and free from the contamination of sin? Do you believe that? It is essential that you do. Do you believe that the blood He shed was from the spotless, sinless Son of God? Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner whose only hope is in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And we must partake of Him before we can enjoy the benefits of what He has done for us. I trust that you have done this. And if you have not, I pray that you will do so today. And that you will discover that Christmas, you will discover the joy that Christmas was intended to bring. But before we partake, I want to finish this morning with some applications which I think are very important for us to consider. And that's my third point this morning. The incarnation applied. The incarnation applied. I got all of these points from an article which I found from the uh, TGC website, the Gospel Coalition website, um, written by a lady by the name of Bethany Jenkins. And the name of the article is The Shocking Implications of the incarnation. I'll share that with you this week. And I will encourage you to read it. Really very helpful. And I want to share that with you this morning. She says, what does the incarnation mean for us today? Well, firstly, the incarnation means that we live in the world, but not of the world. As Jesus prayed for His disciples in John 17, He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In other words, we pursue holy lives in obedience and sacrifice, even as we engage in our cities and our, and our neighborhoods and our families. We don't go live in a cave away from humans. We are in the world, but not part of the world. Secondly, the incarnation means that we seek opportunities to deny ourselves, to deny our flesh. Self-denial is a popular topic in our culture, but it is the starting point for Christian growth in the mind of Christ. Now, we're, not, we're not taught to deny ourselves at all in the culture that we live in. It's not a popular topic at all. We are taught to indulge we are taught to, to feed our flesh, to, to feed our lusts. When Jesus became incarnate, when Jesus became a man, He voluntarily denied Himself the privileges of being God in order to be mocked and in order to be killed. And He did this because He longed to redeem us. He knew this needed to be done in order to accomplish our redemption. 
we could not meet the, the holiness, the standard that God had made in order to have communion with Him. So Jesus had to do it for us. And He denied Himself. He lived a life that was sinless. If Jesus didn't deny Himself, think about that for a moment. If there was one law that Jesus broke, He would have broken all of the law. And He would not have been that perfect sinless sacrifice. And we will be without a Redeemer. Philippians 2 tells us we need to have the same mind in Christ. The same mind that Christ had. It says in verse 2 and verse 3, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. The same mind as Christ. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Jesus counted us more significant than Himself. Consider that for a moment. Thirdly, the incarnation means that we are not to love the things of the world. We are not to love money. God is the richest being in the universe. He owns all of the cattle on the thousand hills. Everything is made by Him. Everything is made through Him. And everything is made for Him. But yet as He looked upon the earth, and He decided into what family He would, born, he would be born into, He chose the poorest of the poor. He chose a poor family. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 verse 22. When Mary and Joseph went to the temple after the birth of Jesus, Luke tells us, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. And in verse 24 it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now under the law, the regular sacrifice was a lamb. And a lamb was expensive to purchase. Not everybody could afford a lamb. And for those who couldn't, a provision was made, especially for poorer families, poor mothers. Leviticus 12 tells us in verse 8, If this mother could not afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. This is what Mary brought to the temple. This is what Mary sacrificed for her son. Jesus, who had all the riches of the world at His disposal, chose to be incarnated into a family that could not even afford a regular sacrifice. He does not love the riches of the world. And fourth and lastly, the incarnation means that we should not overvalue physical beauty. The incarnation means that we should not overvalue physical beauty. Now our culture loves external appearances. I mean, you just go through the magazines and everything there is about physical beauty, physical attraction. You just look at some of the apps that are available. It's all about physical beauty, physical attraction. But the incarnate Christ 
chose to come as someone who had no physical beauty or no physical majesty. But yet he is the most glorious person who has ever lived. But we did not recognize his glory, the scripture saying. Thousands saw him with their eyes, but they saw nothing with their hearts. We in turn must look for beauty in our world with the eyes of our hearts. Not just merely skin deep. What will we see when we look at the world this way? We will see that today the Lord lives in the hungry. The Lord lives in the thirsty. He lives in the stranger. He lives in the naked, the sick and the prisoners. Just as Jesus taught him, we care for such people. We do this unto him. When we live in light of the incarnation of Christ, our lives will be shocking to others around us. Although we are sons and daughters of the King, we will humiliate ourselves when we serve others, when we serve other gods. We are daughters and sons of the King, and we need to remember that. All things may be permissible, but we will deny ourselves certain things or activities so that we can grow in love with our Savior, in love for our Lord and for others. All things are permissible, but not all things are good. When we live in light of the incarnation of Christ, even though we may be earning money, we will strategize how to, how to give this money away for the sake of the kingdom. Living in a physical world, Obviously, we will spend more effort on cultivating our physical selves rather than our, our inner beauty. But we need to avoid that temptation. We need to trust in the promises of God more than the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because the Bible tells us that God is for us. He came to live amongst us. He is for us. This year has been another challenging year for all of us. I remember saying something similar last year, December, during Christmas. And I know there are some very sad people here today because their travel plans have been changed and cancelled, unable to see family, unable to see friends this Christmas and this holiday because of this COVID variant that's recently been discovered. But as we celebrate Christmas this year, I want to challenge you to find your joy by focusing on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Find your joy in this foundational event, this incarnation which made the saving work of our Lord possible. And may I suggest that you refuse to do this just once a year. This shouldn't be just a once a year celebration during Christmas. Every time we take communion, we celebrate the Lord coming to this earth, isn't it? Taking on human flesh, becoming a man, giving His body as a sacrifice for our sins. The perfect God-man dying for sinners like us. The heart of our Christmas, we need to hold on to this wonderful truth that we have looked at today. That God Himself didn't isolate Himself or socially distance himself. He came near. He dwelt among us. He took on human flesh. 
And Isaiah prophesied that we would call His name Emmanuel. The very word Emmanuel means God with us. The greatest breach of social distancing of all time. God becoming man and dwelling with us. Living amongst us. Coming face to face with us. You know, in that first century, it must have been bizarre, almost foolish to believe that that baby in the manger was the Son of God. And I think today, for some people, they struggle with this. It's just as strange to believe that this baby will return to make all things new. And I think that's why people love to worship the baby. The whole world will celebrate this baby in the manger. They want to keep him in baby though, don't they? That baby mustn't grow up. He mustn't become a man that you worship. Let's worship the baby. The baby doesn't stay the baby, does, did, did he? He became a man. He dwelt among us. He knows our weaknesses. He is our compassionate high priest. He cried. He laughed. He rejoiced. He knows our sorrows. He knows our joys. And this is where followers of Jesus find their joy. The very incarnation. God becoming man. Dwelling amongst us. This is not a superficial happiness I'm talking about. Not just a once a year celebration. But really a deep seated and fixed anchor for our soul. God is with us. God is for us. Jesus left the Godhead. He left all of His privileges so that He could die for us. He lived a humiliating and self-denying life to bring us to God, to reconcile us to the Father where there are pleasures forevermore. And he veiled His awful and fearful holiness so that we could touch Him, so that we could reach Him, so that we could know Him, so that we could love Him in return. And no longer, no longer does He say, no man can see my face and live like He did in the Old Testament. But today, He says, see my face and be satisfied. This morning, would you taste and see that the Lord is good? This incarnation is the most essential doctrine for us to understand, and for us to believe, and for us to embrace, and for us to depend on. In times of difficulties, the Lord hasn't left us. The Lord hasn't abandoned us. The Lord is with us, and He loves us. And we can celebrate that this morning. In a moment, we will hold these tangible objects in our hands as we remember the very incarnation of our Lord and His sacrifice for us. And please keep these elements in your hand so that we can partake together. But let me pray and ask the Lord's blessings upon us before we partake together this morning. Father, we do want to thank You for sending Your Son to this earth. Lord, we know without His sacrifice, we really have no hope. Without His obedience to the Father in coming to this earth, in separating Himself from the, 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 the Holy of Holies, we would have no hope. 
God, man, man and God. Lord, we are so thankful for what you have accomplished. Thank you for becoming man 2,000 odd years ago, coming into this sin-cursed world, dwelling amongst the sin-cursed creation to make it all new, to make us all new, not leaving us to our own destruction, giving us hope of reconciliation. And we hold on that today, Father. Thank you. Thank you for denying yourself so that we may live in perfect peace with our Savior. Lord, we ask that you would help us consider this deeply this morning as we partake of the Lord's table. May you be glorified as we draw close to you you draw close to us. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.